Good morning. We continue to provide content from the Bible through this medium to you, people who are part of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, and our visitors. Last Sunday, we let Solomon preach from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Through our study of his words in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we were impressed by what he said we shouldn't do, shouldn't try. He sought to satisfy every appetite using every resource he had, like the expression wine, women, and song, but he found no satisfaction in those temporary efforts. His conclusion was all is vanity. At the end of Ecclesiastes, he gives the answer about what life is really all about in full maturity and accountability. He said, fear God and keep his commandments. And that's what my commitment of life should be, your purpose and my purpose that we discharge day after day until we pass from our earthly existence and stand before God. So today we will ask the Apostle Paul to speak through his recorded words in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 17, Acts 17, 16 through 31. I'll read that text in a moment. First, some background information. Paul teaches people from the scripture in a place called Thessalonica, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Hearing this message, there were jealous men and wicked men who created trouble. On to Maria, Paul and Silas preach, just as they always did, this time a commendable response. In verse 11, the people received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so Thessalonica, and then on to Berea, and then Paul is taken on to Athens, where he waits for the others, but he can't wait. And that brings us now to Acts chapter 17, and the first part that I will read is verses 16 through 21. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Let me pause there. The Athenians were people of intense curiosity. They liked to talk and exchange viewpoints, and they loved a good debate. The Athenians of Paul's day would have been addicted to Facebook and Twitter. But what really stimulated or provoked Paul 
was the widespread presence of so many idols. One of the first commentaries I had in my library on the book of Acts, and now it is online, is a commentary on the book of Acts by J.W. McGarvey. And I'll never forget this comment by McGarvey, this very long sentence that is so expressive of what is written by Luke in the book of Acts we've just read. McGarvey said, Walking along the streets of a city whose fame had been familiar to him from childhood, and seeing in the temples and statues on every hand and the constant processions of people going to and from the places of worship, evidence that the city was given to idolatry, though a lonely stranger who might have been awed into silence by the magnificence around him, Paul felt his soul aroused to make one mighty struggle for a triumph, even here, of the humble gospel which he preached. Having access to no other formal assembly, he goes upon the streets and places of public concourse and discourse to those who happen to be there. I think that was a very good quote that caught my attention so many years ago. Paul was appalled by how loaded down the people were in idolatry, but he didn't walk away. This was an opportunity. These people needed to hear about God and Christ and then repent and get their life right, and they could do that because of the death of Christ and his resurrection. So, we're going to continue now in Acts 17 at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring... We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all, by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. 
So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Again from McGarvey about this unknown God. After erecting altars to all the known gods, they had extended their worship even to such as might be in existence without their knowledge. You know, it's like wanting to make certain you have all your bases covered. There may be deities in existence we don't know about. We've got to make sure every possible deity is covered and thus the altar honoring the unknown God. Sometimes I think and talk about reaching people with the gospel and discovering points of contact. And what what that means is something you observe or you learn about people that becomes your pathway to get their attention and let them hear the gospel. And that becomes the talking point that becomes the open door, the opportunity to bring into the conversation gospel truth. So here in Athens, Paul says, in essence, there is a God you don't know about. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And here is one of the good examples of a great sermon. Paul speaking to the Athenians, according to Luke's record here in Acts 17. And as suggested in John Stott's commentary on Acts, Luke tells us what Paul saw, what Paul felt, what Paul did, and what Paul said. I want to follow that sequence in our study. First, consider what the Apostle Paul saw. Can you imagine going to a place, being among people, and not only is there no evidence of anyone believing in God, to the contrary, The people have signs and monuments displaying their loyalty to objects, to gods they have created in their own minds, which have no real existence. And they are so devoted to this multitude of idols, it could be said, and has been said many times, it was easier to find an idol in Athens than a god. That's what Paul saw in Athens. But for Paul... This wasn't a matter of curiosity. He wasn't like a tourist in a museum. Because of his loyalty to the God, the Creator, he is disturbed. Gold and ivory statues, temples, shrines, visible everywhere, images of Apollo, Jupiter, Mercury, Diana, the gods of Olympus. Paul can't just observe and admire the beauty and do academic research. He is troubled by the absence of the God, the Creator, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my second point, what Paul felt. Verse 16, he is provoked or greatly distressed. He's shocked. He he is aroused, aroused to the point of having to speak up. There is no evidence that he was inordinately angry at the people or wanted to lash out at them or insult them or berate them. He wanted to save them. And that meant acting and speaking in the best possible way to reach people who were ignorant of God, Christ, and the gospel revealed by the Holy Spirit. Let me make this point here. This is the way God's people are. 
When we see the opposite of what we know is true, when we observe that God isn't honored or Christ isn't known or the words of the Holy Spirit are not being read, it troubles us. We are bothered and grieved. When the devil has become the master over people, we can't just walk away. When we are revolted by sin, we want to react and speak up and inform the uninformed, save the lost, uphold truth. The apostle Paul saw a city full of idols. How did he feel about that? Provoked, greatly disturbed. Number three, consider what Paul did. We already know he didn't walk away. We already know he didn't just insult the people, nor did he remain silent. His first action, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. And his action included reaching out in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He didn't turn away in horror. His response reflected genuine interest in lost people, in souls. Remember who this man is. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ who, in a letter to the church in Rome, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am indebted to all men. There is duty in this man's heart. There is love for the lost in this man's heart. He saw widespread idolatry. He was provoked and he acted according to his convictions, his love, his duty. And it is the way we need to be. Fourth, and I will spend most of my time on this point, we're going to consider what Paul said. I want us to concentrate on Paul's message, what Paul said, his sermon. He affirms a personal, self-sufficient God who is other than the world, in fact, has created, has made all things. This is a marvelous statement about God, and these people in this city filled with idols needed to know this about God, the God, verses 24 and 25, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Would you consider, please, how much truth is packed just in those two verses? God is the creator. He made the world and everything in it. God is sovereign. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. God is omnipresent, not limited to temples made by the hands of men. God is self-sufficient. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God is the sustainer of life. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything. The apostle Paul is not intimidated. He did not hesitate to preach what they needed to hear. This is a city filled with idols. And these were the leading intellectuals of this culture, and he was speaking to them. There was something important missing in their theology, their philosophy, in their lives. The Creator. 
Paul could have said, you believe what you want, we just believe differently. Paul could have just walked, saying to himself, these people are already tightly fixed in their opinion. I'm not going to in, uh, interpret their unbelief. Uh, they won't believe in the real God anyway. Paul had the truth, had a message, had a charge, along with his love and compassion for people who didn't know God. So against the risk or the ridicule, he spoke the truth to the pagans about who God is, the creator who made the world. He had more. God has created all nations and races of humankind from a common source. Verse 26, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Among the Athenian philosophers, it was common for men to believe in the superiority of one race above another. In every instance where there is that mindset of racial superiority, along with that there is arrogance, pride, exclusion, and often leading to mistreatment and violence. We all know that in New Testament times, the public conflict between the Jews and Gentiles became a racial and cultural war. Mixed in with other causes of division, there was bloodshed and loss of life. Racial superiority is a mindset that has no value, corrupts one's thinking, and moves toward violence. The entire Bible gives the answer loudly, expressing that there is no grounds for any racial superiority. But here it all is, the answer in one verse, in one phrase, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. This is a statement of origin from the same stock or blood made from one man, Outward appearance can be deceiving, and especially if there is a predisposition to be prejudiced. We all came from Adam. Now, stay here in verse 26. It will be argued, and was vigorously in the 1950s, that certain races should be separate and occupy their own places. And there were plenty of people to say where those places should be. Men who claimed to be superior were demanding the right to tell people where to live and where to stay. I was fortunate enough to hear gospel preachers say no to that, reading from this verse, the part that says God made all people to dwell or live on all the face of the earth. Men of one race cannot assume authority God didn't give them to tell the supposed inferiors to stay away. We all came from Adam, and there is only one who rules over times and places, and that's God. This was not popular in Athens in the first century, but Paul was firm in his intent to tell these people the truth about God. What else did Paul say? God has created 
us for his fellowship. And so we should seek the Lord. I heard a preacher say one time, referring to this passage, Paul's theme is, there is a God and you should seek him. There is a God and you should get to know him. There is a God and you should obey him. Because there is a God and you will stand before him in judgment. I think that's right. If you would listen to verses 27 to 29, you'll hear it. Paul says, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring, being then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. This is simple, but is so profound. God made us, and we should seek Him. We should be compelled and happy to reach out for Him and find Him, that we might put ourselves under His direction through Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. And notice the statement, He is not far from each of us. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ was a public event known to men in the world then, known by everybody today. The gospel was taken outside of Jerusalem to Antioch, Galatia, Macedonia, Athens, eventually to America, to Arkansas, to Texas, and throughout the land and the world. The gospel. The gospel can be preached, can be understood. All you need to respond is a good and honest heart and sufficient water for baptism with your commitment to repent and serve God the rest of your life. The evidence of God's existence and providence is everywhere around us, and not only are we His offspring, but in Him we live and move and have our existence. This is about God and our response to Him. In this sermon, Paul was delivering. Then he said this, All human beings are accountable to the God who has created them. Verse 30 is such a clear, important statement. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. All men, Stoics, Epicureans, philosophers, common people, male and female, Jew and Gentile, Americans, Mexicans, Russians, Filipinos, all men, all human beings are accountable to the God who created them. There was a time of ignorance before Jesus came. There was a time when the gospel plan was not fully revealed, was not fully made known. But now, Paul says in Athens, all men everywhere are commanded to repent. That means change their thinking, their actions, turn their lives away from sin to God, the gospel is a message of repentance, promising forgiveness to those who respond. The gospel is intended for all men, so God now commands all men everywhere to repent. When the gospel was first preached, after the resurrection of Christ, Peter told the people, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Paul is preaching that same message in Athens. We ought to preach it today.
with fundamental emphasis on who God is and who Christ is and what our response ought to be. Jesus was raised from the dead, verse 31. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, Paul was preaching this in Athens. Before he spoke to this audience, Paul was preaching this in Athens. Refer back to verse 18 where it says, He was preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection. Here at the end of his speech to these men, he affirms what he had been affirming before, the resurrection of Christ. And on the basis of that truth, he implies we will be raised, all men will be raised and judged. God has appointed that day. We know that we will be raised and we will stand before this great judgment seat. And we know that because God has given assurance to all by raising Christ from the dead. People need to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this so they will have opportunity to repent and be baptized. Epicureans and Stoics, religious people, secular people, intellectuals, common people, people in Jerusalem, Athens, MacAllen, India, China, Arkansas. If everybody will stand before God to be judged in the end, then everybody needs to know this now, so they can repent now, the gospel of Christ. Paul was not intimidated by Athens and Athenians and intellectuals. He could not be silent. Everybody needs the gospel. So he challenged their unbelief and their idolatry. He spoke to them about the God they did not know and told them they were accountable to God and would stand before him in judgment. Paul is reasoning with the Greeks in Athens about who God is, his creative work, his rule and interest, all of that, Paul argues, was intended to move all of us to seek God and find Him and change and be ready to stand before Him. If there is a God who made us for His own purposes and ends, it does not require a flash from heaven to tell us that we have no more important duty and necessity in our lives than to know Him and to serve Him. That's a quote that got my attention many years ago, J.W. McGarvey. But then, you knew I would have this question for us. As ungodly and anti-God trends gain acceptance in our society, Will we say what Paul said through our lives and our messages and our relationships? Are we equipped to speak these words to people who don't know God? Will we take the risk? Will we pray for strength to lead people out of idolatry and worldliness to the God who made them through Jesus Christ? 
Not everyone will respond favorably. Not everybody responded favorably to the Apostle Paul, but let's determine right now we will say what Paul said about God to people who don't know him. But with that intention, let there always be the companion commitment that we will seek after God and make our obedience to him the most important thing in our lives. So this is where I would usually say, if we were back in the building, let us stand and sing. But I'm going to say thank you for listening. Revisit our website. If you are a visitor to our website, please come back again. Please get in touch with us. We welcome feedback and questions and any expressions of your interest in what we do. We are the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Thank you for listening.